calendar here, News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT, 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. So uh, earlier we had, uh, uh, we were covering Tom Tillis and uh, his position here on the uh, same-sex marriage amendment from the uh, from the U.S. Senate. He was one of, I think, 10 Republicans that joined in with the Democrats in order to amend a House version of this bill. We'll see where it goes, but... Uh, Tom Tillis is also um, connected to some degree to the uh, the FTX story, the cryptocurrency FTX story. Okay, first off, I have to. We're going to do a, a, a deep dive on this FTX thing, and I got to tell you, I don't understand cryptocurrency. I'm kind of suspicious of anybody who does, <laughs> but uh, I do own. A bit of a bit of a bit of a it's like there's a lot of decimal points before you even get to the first number. It's like a lot of point zero zero zeros before you get to the, whatever the percentage of a bit that I own. And it's it's in some wallet someplace. And I don't even I don't even think I know how to get to it. Uh, yeah, like I bought like I, I bought a, 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 like a trillionth of a bit. Um, I don't know. Six years ago or so. Back when it was high, because I always heard that. You buy high, and then you try to sell low. I, th- I think that's how you do that. Um, <laughs> anyway, so that's the extent of my knowledge of, of the bits and the coins and the cryptos. Um, I kind of understand what the concept is on the blockchaining. Uh, something about weapons of mass destruction, blockchain, blockchainy, no. Anyway, so the the point here is that this FTX organization, uh, the big takeaway here, it's a it was a Ponzi scheme, and it defrauded a whole bunch of people and funneled a lot of money into uh, pol- uh, political campaigns. The vast majority of it went to the left. A little bit of it went to the right. And part of that little bit of it was used to get Madison Cawthorn out of office in North Carolina. All right, we're, I'm going to connect the dots here. There are a couple of things first to uh, to go over. All right, well, here, I'll, I'll, I'll just start there because I was talking about Tillis before. So the guy who ran this FTX, uh, that was the name, right? You've heard a lot about it. The guy's name is Sam Bankman Fried, which, like, that should have sent red flags up for everybody initially. Uh, and then if you see the guy, if you, like, just the guy shows up wearing a hoodie and he's like, you could trust me. Like, Really? Don't trust anybody wearing a hoodie and shorts in winter. That's like my rule. That's why I wasn't on board with Fetterman. Uh, like that's just there's something wrong with that. Okay, it's just something wrong. But the guy, yeah, he just he he did not look like somebody that was worth my trust for investing. Okay, and his name is Sam Bankman Fried, as in, you know, I'll take uh, things that. You know, things that get uh, people in trouble like this is the like like the punishment for a scam artist in the financial sector. Bankman Fried. That's his name. Bankman Fried. That's what happens to you. Right. When you get caught in the Ponzi scheme in a financial sector. It's just obvious. What? Like this is like a cartoonish name for the crook. Anyway, he's the founder and they call him SBF. I don't know why. Because everything is yeah, acronymed nowadays, acronymized, 
Anyway, Sam Bankman-Fried is the founder of FTX, a Bahamas-based, of course, cryptocurrency exchange. At least a billion dollars of customer funds and possibly as much as two billion have gone missing in the shocking implosion of the cryptocurrency exchange, FTX. The flamboyant founder, Sam Bankman-Fried, known in the industry as SBF, secretly funneled $10 billion of customer funds into his trading company called Alameda Research. Alameda Research is run by his girlfriend, Caroline Ellison. But, just like in the previous hour, it doesn't appear they were exclusive. They lived in some sort of a commune or something, as far as I can tell, and like a whole bunch of different people. It was polyamorous and whatever. Before the bankruptcy, Bankman Fried was the second largest donor to Democrats. Behind whom? Glad you asked. Behind George Soros. Yes. Pete, you can't mention George Soros and all of the money he gives the Democrats, or else you're an anti-Semite. That's how that works. This guy, Bankman Fried, pledged to give a billion dollars to political candidates, but then he backed off that pledge, probably because he didn't have any money. But uh, he gave more than $36 million to Democrats in the 21-22 cycle, according to OpenSecrets.org. He also gave... to Republicans in the same time period. Brant Clifton, writing at Daily Haymaker, went and pulled the, um, the FEC documents. And you'll recall, Tom Tillis set up a PAC called Results for NC. And in the last cycle, that PAC spent a bunch of money running ads against Madison Cawthorn in the 11th District primary. Attacks on Cawthorn benefited Tom Tillis's ally, State Senator Chuck Edwards, who was recruited by Tillis to enter the primary. This is what, remember, Madison Cawthorn attacked Tom Tillis as not being a conservative, right? And then when Tom Tillis's wife, Susan, attacked Cawthorn, called him out, said, we don't need your advice on who to vote for, <laughs> for, for Republicans. That prompted Cawthorn to send Tillis a text message, hey, how come your wife is attacking me on Twitter? And Tillis said, I don't know, maybe because you're attacking her husband. Just spitballing here. <laughs> and Cawthorn, see, this is the problem with being a youngster when he got into this, is that Cawthorn probably wasn't aware that Tillis did, in fact, build the Republican majority in this state. He did. For whatever you criticisms you want to level at Tom Tillis, he was the architect of the takeover of the General Assembly by Republicans in 2010. He recruited candidates. He quit his job at IBM. He, he re- went around the state recruiting candidates, building the bench, putting in the infrastructure that got them the House and then the supermajority. So... I'm not sure you get to say that he's, you know, quote, not a conservative or not, uh, you know, not conservative enough when he built the General Assembly into its current form. Without him, we would not have a Republican majority. And I can say that and still disagree with certain things that he has pushed. I can say that. Um, 
Chuck Edwards, conservative guy, got into the got into politics in the state Senate because of Obamacare. I've talked with Chuck Edwards. He was the local uh, representative out in Western North Carolina when I was out there. And I met him at a, a Blue Ridge women's group where we were speaking. So that's, uh, I don't know. Brant Clifton doesn't like Tom Tillis. I guess I should point that out. <laughs> Brant Clifton does not like Tom Tillis. Uh, and so the money that came from this bank man fried, obviously it went to a Republican-backed group, this Tillis group, this uh, results for NC. But the point here was to get Madison Cawthorn primaried because why? It would be unlikely it would happen in a general election when the Democrats put up Jasmine Beach Ferrara. So you had to knock him out in the primary. And so I don't even count that as really a Republican donation. <laughs> I count that more as it's a progressive liberal Democrat donation. That's where you want. You wanted to try to get him out. The problem is, of course, now it's going to be harder to get Chuck Edwards out because he's less assailable than Madison Cawthorn is. Okay. We're going to get into the FTX thing here now. Um, what's uh, uh, Jim Garrity at National Review has a really good write-up on this um, because he explains it to people like me who don't understand how it all operated. So uh, Gar- Jim Garrity at National Review, he says, it turns out that the disheveled young so-called genius running one of the world's biggest cryptocurrency exchanges and major cryptocurrency hedge fund, a man touted as the next Warren Buffett, was actually reminiscent of the chaotic, unprofessional, seat-of-his-pants manner of Bluto Blutarski of Animal House. And the cryptocurrency titan, who was the Democrats' second biggest donor after George Soros, now looks like a younger, nuttier Bernie Madoff. There's another guy with the name. If you couldn't tell that he was going to, like, make off with your money, the guy's name is Bernie Madoff. Come on, people. Like, really. Do not put your money... Like, under the watchful eyes of people who have names that tell you what they're going to do. All right. I mean, unless, of course, the guy's name is like, you know, Pete makes a lot. Something like that. Or Pete, great returns. (laughs) Go with an investor or asset manager with that last name. That makes a lot of sense. Check out the uh, Charlotte Auto Show. It's revving its engine for the 29th year. It's at the Charlotte Convention Center, as it was last year as well. It's running through Sunday. You can check out all the electric vehicles. Um, it's also got the family fun zone, so the kids have a, a you know place to jump around and have fun. And you can also check out the latest makes and models, compare and contrast, low-pressure environment. They got you know Chevy test drives on site and all of the uh, luxury and uh, exotic brands. Uh, like Land Rover and uh, Porsche and Maserati and Ferrari and Aston Martin. They got really cool cars. Go check it out. It's the uh, 29th annual Charlotte Auto Show at the Charlotte Convention Center through Sunday. Sunday, Sunday. Uh, All righty. So Jim Garrity, writing at National Review, uh, starts at the beginning, he says, like Maria Von Trapp reminds us to do, it's a very good place to start. Uh, Cryptocurrency, it's a money-like asset. That is designed to be used on computer systems and electronic banking, but that is not backed by anything like a government or a bank. Like our 
dollar is backed by the government and the banks, although it's not backed by anything tangible besides that or something. Anyway, theoretically, anything could be used as currency, right? Yeah, Halloween candy in the lunchroom, for example, cigarettes in jail, you know, shell beads, coins, paper, other objects used as currency all throughout history. The difference with all of that stuff and crypto is that crypto uh, is, it's not tangible. It's not, it doesn't exist. It's like it's not, it's not physically in the world. It only exists electronically. Back in 2017, Sam Bankman fried, oh, sorry, hang on. I did get this tweet from a uh, MAGA American Pitbull who says, Pete, I get the joke. But the second vowel is pronounced in the name uh, with Germanic de- uh, derivation, F R I E D, is pronounced freed. Yes, I am aware that everyone is pronouncing it freed, but I don't like pronouncing it like, that way. I reject this pronunciation because he should, he should be in a lot of trouble. And I don't like, well, now hang on a second. If he gets away with it, I'll start calling him Bankman Freed, okay? Because he was freed. Right now, I'm going with fried because I want him to be punished for what he has done, which is quite obviously fraud. He has engaged in massive fraud, and he used wokeism, the church of wokeism, as a cover for his fraud. And he tried to buy indulgences through the church of wokeism by making the requisite donations to ESG-aligned entities and the Democrat political party. So I'm going with fried until he either escapes, um, I guess if he's convicted, yeah, then I'll just keep with fried. All right. So back in, uh, all right, fine. I'll just call him SBF. Let's just avoid the pronunciation altogether. I'll go with his uh, the name that he goes by on the street, uh, his nom de plume, SBF. So here's what happened. Back in 2017, this guy noticed that Bitcoin was bought and sold at different prices in different countries' markets. Okay? So this is basically, uh, I had a professor at... Uh, Winthrop, who used to do this, he would uh, do money exchanges in the different, you know, foreign markets and stuff, and he would just make money off of those differences. I, whatever, I don't, I don't understand it, but that's what he used to do. What was his name? Milton? Oh, gosh, I just lost it. What was his name? Millard? It'll come to me. Anyway, um, I think he has since passed away, but... um, he would notice that there was a different trading rate for the Bitcoins in different countries, sometimes 60% more than the lowest priced markets. So he bought Bitcoin in the cheapest companies and then resold it in the South Korean markets at a much higher price, what he nicknamed the kimchi premium. After a month, he then launches his own trading house, and that is called Alameda Research. Bankman, Fra- sorry, BF, founded... FTX, which is short for Futures Exchange, which it's not actually. That would be FE, uh, right? Not FTX. But anyway, FTX was founded in 2019. And he said he created it because, quote, I wanted to build a platform for professional traders like me while also bringing crypto trading to the mass market and first-time users. He and his team had considerable experience with a lot of other big-name financial firms and tech companies like Optiver or Susquehanna and Google and Facebook. So Jim Garrity notes, in other words, 
Those who invested in and with the exchange believed that this team knew what it was doing. As a cryptocurrency exchange, FTX allowed customers to trade cryptocurrencies for other assets like, you know, real money, but also other cryptocurrencies. So they're all they're doing all these trades, sometimes for real money, sometimes for the crypto stuff. Um, the key to understanding all currency is that the value of any given currency is determined by what the market collectively believes it's worth. Once people stop believing something is worth anything, then it doesn't have any value. The full faith and credit, right? This is the problem when you print so much money and you get off of a gold standard is when you're just, you know, you have fiat currency, which is just basically like we deem this to have value. Eventually, if people lose confidence in that value, then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and it crashes. Nobody wants it, right? Which is kind of what happened here. If you if you have bought your morning coffee with U.S. dollars for your entire life, you likely feel confident that the coffee shop is going to accept payment in those U.S. dollars tomorrow, right? That's why it has value is people have the full faith in it and that it's going to have value tomorrow. When people don't have any confidence that it's going to have value tomorrow, they stop uh, putting confidence in it. Every currency is maintained by a sufficiently widespread belief that the currency is currently worth something and it'll continue to be worth something in the foreseeable future. This is why people buy precious metals, silver, gold, because it has a track record, historically speaking, of always having some value. And if the currencies we use now all collapse, it probably will again, even more so, right? A currency's value crashes when people no longer believe it is worth much or worth anything at all, which, by the way, is what people like me warn the MMTers, uh, the modern monetary theorists, these MMTers who say, oh, debt doesn't matter. We just keep printing all, this, all the money and we're not tied to any gold standards. Like, yeah, that's, that's a recipe for disaster. Like, this might be a harbinger of where we're heading with our own dollar. Okay, I don't want to go down that path. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. All right, so in 2019, 2019, you got SBF, this Sam Bankman Friday sets up this FTX, Futures Exchange, it's called, in 2019. It grew spectacularly fast. By March of 2021, they were renaming the NBA stadium down in uh, Miami. They did a Super Bowl commercial featuring Larry David. Uh, Ironically, the joke being that he didn't understand cryptocurrency, and now I think he's getting sued for participating in promoting this thing. This guy, SBF, was on the cover of all sorts of magazines. Fortune magazine, you know, he's being touted as like this next big thing in the in crypto and the finance world and all of this in september ftx was believed to be worth 32 billion dollars in addition to running the crypto exchange ftx sbf see this is why i don't like that it's a bank man fried sam all right sam sam continued to run alameda research as well so jim garrity at national review says this is it's kind of like having the same person running the new york stock exchange and a hedge fund <laughs> right, it's a, a little shady. 
Now, Garrity says, if you're like me, you felt like you didn't really understand what the heck cryptocurrency was and you didn't bother investing in it. And our inability to understand these things has really paid off in this case. So what happens? September, it's worth $32 billion. By November, you get a report from a, pub, a website called Coindesk. And I guess they, they cover crypto stuff. And they point out that FTX and Alameda are, quote, unusually close and that this might not be legal. This sends a signal into the marketplace. The Coindesk report also led to lots of people wondering how much of FTX and Alameda's financial assets were based on non-crypto, tangible financial assets, like real valuable things, right? The fear was that the company's financial assets were largely crypto and thus capable of losing value very quickly with very little warning, which is exactly what happened. (laughs) About a week later, FTX goes into negotiations with the world's largest cryptocurrency exchange called Binance, and they try to get themselves acquired by Binance. So Sam starts talking to the head guy at Binance, and Binance is like, hmm, all right, well, I'm interested. Let's take a look. And then, oh, my God, what the heck? And then they're like, we do not want anything to do with this. And so begins the crash. Garrity says bankruptcy filings, pretty usually boring. The guy who's in charge, the guy who cleaned up Enron in bankruptcy, that's who's, that, that's who's been brought in to clean this up. The guy's name is John J. Ray III. And um, Garrity says, where the institution does not look chaotic, it looks like a giant scam. Here's what, the, uh, what John J. Ray III says. Um, the bullet points here. Uh, they did not have appropriate corporate governance. They never had board meetings. They did not maintain centralized control of its cash. Uh, there was an absence of an accurate list of bank accounts and account signatories. Uh, human resources combined employees of various entities and outside contractors with unclear records. They were just like mingling everybody together. You didn't know who was on the payroll and who was a contractor. Repeated attempts to locate some employees to confirm their status have been unsuccessful. <laughs> so there may be people on the books that actually don't work there. Corporate funds used to purchase homes and other personal items for employees and advisors. They did not keep appropriate books and records, security controls. And they often communicated by using apps that were set to auto-delete after a short period of time and that Sam encouraged employees to do the same. That is a no-no because if the peanut butter hits the fan then, uh, yeah, you you need those records to find out what was going on behind the scenes and the corporate governance issues and all of that. And if you're using these apps that uh, delete all of the messages after 15 minutes or something, there's no preservation of the records. Back in August, before all the meltdown happened, Politico described Bankman Freed, oh, darn it, Sam, as one of the biggest donors in Democrat politics, one of just a handful of donors who spent $10 million plus backing Joe Biden in 2020. And in the last year, he's hired a network of political operatives and spent tens of millions more shaping Democratic House primaries. It was a shocking wave of spending that looked like it could remake the Democratic Party bench in Washington, candidate by candidate. Looking ahead to the 2024 election, Sam said he would... uh, 
he could spend anywhere from $100 million to a billion dollars. Now, I have seen these uh, conspiracy theories out there on social media as well. I don't know if they're true or not, but there is at this point no proof, no proof. Again, different than just evidence, but proof to the rumor that the Ukrainian government invested heavily in FTX with some folks on social media spinning this theory that the Ukrainians gave to FTX and then Sam would give the money to Democrats, Democrats and then the administration would send USA to Ukraine. So essentially FTX was engaged in this money laundering operation with the Bidens, the Democrats and uh, the Ukrainians. Now, that being said, FTX was a partner in helping the Ukrainian government convert donated crypto into currency that they could spend. So they were helping the Ukrainians do that. So unless there's some further evidence that comes to light, there's no proof, no solid proof of the allegation that they were engaged in this global money laundering operation. But we shall see. We shall see. So how is the media handling this? Well, well, not too well. Because he was one of theirs. See, Sam, Sam bought the indulgences of the left, of the Church of Wokeism. He made the donations to the right people. He said the right things. He played the right games in order to, like, the ESG stuff and the, uh, the you know, critical race theory stuff. And he paid all the attention, checked all of the boxes so as to, uh, uh, to not gain the kind of examination on him and his operations that would lead to their demise. And we know this because the kid is apparently an idiot and he has been engaged in texting and chats with people like his direct messages are open apparently on Twitter. And he was just talking with people and explaining, yeah, it was all a scam, you know, like the whole wokeism, it's all a scam and you got to say these things, the political correctness and everything that's, he was just playing their game. But what's interesting here is that if you know anything about his parents, this makes total sense. It makes total sense. His mom, where is it here? Here it is. His mom, a Stanford professor, wrote a long article making the case that free will is a myth and we should not blame people for committing crimes. Our worldviews, aspirations, temperaments, conduct, and achievements, everything we conventionally think of as us, are in significant part determined by accidents of biology and circumstance, she wrote back in 2013. Suppose that this fictional person she you know, conjures up for the example is in a neighborhood where drug dealing was the most common form of gainful employment. Raised by a single mom who was a cocaine addict and by the time he was 12 was supporting his family by selling drugs. When he was 17, he got caught up in a drug deal gone bad. Altercation ensues. He shoots and kills the buyer. How should we think about this person's level of moral responsibility? She says parental income and education are the most powerful predictors of whether a three-year-old will end up in the boardroom or prison. Her essay is reflective of the standard woke attack on personal responsibility. This idea that you're not responsible because you didn't choose your genetics or circumstances. So under this reasoning, no one is responsible for committing crimes. You see how this dovetails into bail reform efforts, right? All right, we'll go into more of this. This is, by the way, Michael Schellenberg's find over at, he's the author of San Francisco, and uh, uh, he's got a Substack, I believe, and Schellenberger MD is his Twitter handle. 
All right, so the guy at the head of the uh, crypto empire, FTX, Alameda Research, he and his girlfriend, uh, that I don't think they were exclusive, uh, not that that matters, but uh, they lived in like some sort of commune with other people, whatever. It doesn't matter. They're kind of wacky. He's from Berkeley. His parents are both Stanford University. Uh, well, he was born on the campus of Stanford, uh, yeah, to two professors. He attended MIT, majored in physics, and from there he joined Jane Street Capital. The guy's name is Sam Bankman Fried, or Freed. And uh, a noted employer of brilliant young programming talent on Wall Street is Jane Street Capital. After three years, in 2017, he was bitten by the crypto bug, and he founded Alameda Research at the age of 25. He grows this thing. Um, and he's like making these trades and such. And as the the Alameda trading volume grew, he recognized the opportunity to monetize the volume by launching his own exchange, FTX. Okay, so you look at who his parents are, and his mom nine years ago, Stanford professor, wrote a very long article making the case that free will is a myth, and that we should not blame people for committing crimes. Huh. That's an interesting philosophy for the mother of a massive Ponzi schemer, don't you think? Her essay is reflective of the standard woke attack on personal responsibility, namely that you're not responsible because you didn't choose your genetics or your circumstances. No one is responsible, basically, for committing crime. They're just a victim of circumstance. Michael Schellenberger author of the book San Francisco, uh, sorry, yeah, San Francisco, um, he wrote about this because this is, this is one of the animating philosophies in San Francisco. Here's what he wrote in the book, San Francisco, Why Progressives Ruin Cities. After World War II, a longstanding philosophical debate over whether we have free will or are just the products of our environment gained real worldwide, uh, sorry, real world significance. Former Nazi officers on trial defended themselves by saying they were not responsible for their actions, including the operation of gas chambers, because they were following orders. Courts ruled this was not a valid defense, though. And philosophers, including French existentialist Jean-Paul Sartre, gained worldwide fame in his emphasis on individual responsibility, said man is condemned to be free. From the moment he is thrown into this world, he is responsible for everything he does. Schellenberger points out that if you deny free will, it gives permission for people to behave badly. And this guy in his crypto empire, this Ponzi scam that he ran, he may be like the most perfect example of that. Schellenberg goes on to point out that at the time, Michel Foucault disagreed with this idea. He was following the philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche. Foucault felt that individual responsibility was a myth used by powerful people to punish and discipline others for things they could not control. Any of this sound familiar? Like, this is the animating philosophy of the left. It's, it's nihilism, right? None of us choose our brains and bodies, our families or communities, our places in time and space. How could we be said to have free will at all? The problem with this line of thinking is that people appear to behave far better when they take responsibility for their actions than when they don't. Right. When you tell people that you don't have free will, you're not responsible for anything because you're just a victim of your circumstances. Generally speaking, people act like jerks. 
And when you tell people, no, you're responsible for your actions, you and you alone have free will. You get to decide. Well, amazingly, people act better. Subjects primed to disbelieve in free will are more likely to engage in aggressive behavior. Disbelief in free will even seems to impair some cognitive processes. So even if we say free will is a myth, it's a good one. I mean, for a society, for a civilization to exist, right? It's a good one. One way to think about free will is that it exists only as a belief. The more you believe in free will, the more it exists. It's like the, when that Tinkerbell, right? The less we believe in it, the less it exists. The more you believe in it, the more it exists. If you do call free will an illusion, it's a pretty useful one. <laughs> Schellenberger says what all of the, philosoph- uh, the philosophical gymnastics get you, though, is the justification to do what you want. That's the, that's the point here. It opens the door to, make, uh, to, uh, to might makes right justifications. The ends justify the means, right? And this is what Sam Bankman fried. This is what he was doing. He was using charity. This, this, this excuse of altruism. What do they have? They have a term for it here. I, oh, I looked at it. Altruistic. What is it? What, oh, man, I've lost it now. I have so many papers. In, see, because I, I build these topics and I put them all together. And then I just lost the thing. Altruistic investment or something. Right? This idea that, oh, I'm going to have all of this crypto money. I'm going to spend all of this money on what? Essentially is ESG. And that was giving him all of the accolades in the media. He was investing in media companies. He wanted to start up his own media company with bloggers that he read. He wanted to put them all under ad, like Nate Silver and, and Matthew Iglesias. Yeah, I don't know. But that's what he wanted to do. The scandal is spectacular proof that high intelligence is no substitute for poopy ethics. And it may even undermine them. The smartest guys in the room are particularly well-equipped to justify bad, power-hungry nihilism or nihilism. And as usual, the antidote can be found near the poison. Paul Bloom, in the very same issue, makes the identical case that uh, Schellenberger makes, which is that free will motivates good behavior. (laughs) 